Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to kick off today um, talking about and beginning to unpack the word that Pastor Andreas has shared with us uh, over the past few weeks. I believe that as a spiritual family, we've entered a prophetic season. I'm calling it a prophetic season of beautiful repentance. Now, Repentance gets a bad rep. It's, a, it's often associated with feeling sorry or guilty or all those kinds of things. I don't see repentance in that way at all. The subject of repentance uh, is a beautiful thing for me. And I'll explain to you a little, while, a little bit later why I say that. Why repentance is, is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. But over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Andreas has spoken prophetically into our lives, all of us. Mostly out of the book of Malachi, out of the book of Revelation chapter 3. A real call from the heart of God to his people uh, to, to not be sidetracked, who are caught up in so many things, to say, come back to me, turn your hearts towards me. And when a prophetic word is, enters our lives or enters our situation, there's a purpose behind it. That God is trying to accomplish something. And the purpose of any prophetic word coming in is, number one, to reveal. To reveal. To reveal the truth of what's really going on. Sometimes the way we see things or the perspective from which we see things is driven by how we feel, by our emotions, is driven by the people around us or perhaps the atmosphere. Uh, sometimes it's driven by our pride. Other times it's driven by our insecurities. But when a prophetic word comes and it speaks, it reveals truth so it 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 takes off all the veils it takes off all the all the all the masks and leaves us if you like naked or vulnerable with the truth of of the real situation the second reason a prophetic word is given is to direct so it says this is where you are this is where you should be going or this is the direction you should be heading in it puts a clear way forward and thirdly, when a prophetic word is given, it is there to foretell. So in other words, this is where you are. If you go in this direction, this is what you're going to get. But if you continue in this direction, this is what is going to happen. And over the past, as I said, couple of weeks, Pastor Andreas has been sharing with us prophetically concerning the state of the church. Not just our local church family, but worldwide. But you know what? We're a part of the church worldwide. And so, and, and therefore, we're affected by it, and many of the things are the same out there as they are in, within our own spiritual family. I believe the message that Pastor Andreas has given over the past couple of weeks is, it's like a divine wake-up call. You know that feeling when you've had a Sunday afternoon nap, and you wake up and you're feeling groggy? Do you know that feeling? No, you also got kids, right? No, you don't get such things anymore, right? Do you remember from way back when? when you could have an afternoon nap, uh, that feeling of grogginess, that feeling of weariness, 
And sometimes I think spiritually as, as believers, we find ourselves in those kinds of situations. Life's become busy. We get caught up in all kinds of worries or anxieties. Just doing life sometimes becomes a little overwhelming and it becomes hard. And so we become dull. We, we, our spiritual ears, if you like, are not tuned in. And a prophetic word comes in. And like I say, it's a wake-up call. It helps us see our true condition, things as they really are. And here's the thing. A prophetic word like that is an invitation to do something about our current state. It's an invitation to do something about our heart attitude, our perspective, our direction, our focus, all these kinds of things. So when a prophetic word is given, what we do with it is vitally important. There's some prophetic words that uh, take on this kind of nature where they say, you know, I see you in so many years or I see you doing this in a certain time and it's trying to predict something that or see something that will come in the future. That kind of prophetic, prophetic word, you put it neatly in a mental envelope and you stick it in your mental filing cabinet and you kind of keep it there. Uh, it's dangerous to chase after prophetic words to try and make them happen. Uh, those kinds of prophetic words. But in terms of what Pastor Andreas has been sharing with us over the past few weeks, it's an invitation for us to say, all right, if this is what you are saying about my situation, Lord God, I need to sit up and take notice of this because you are giving me an invitation to correct or to change or to repent from something and move into the place that you desiring me to be. It's a time for work or productivity. Now work, we don't normally like that word, but work leads to productivity and productivity leads to fruitfulness and fruitfulness leads to us being a blessing, not just to ourselves, but to those around us. And so we have this this beautiful invitation before us. And if we approach a prophetic word from this point of view, no matter how hard or stern or difficult it may seem to be to grasp in our hearts, when we come at it with this perspective, we end up yielding to the process and cooperating with the Spirit of God far better than if we were to feel sullen or, 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 or con condemned and, and, and guilty and shamed. Shame is not the intention of, 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 of any prophetic word that God gives. When God gives a prophetic word, it's in order to lift us up and to bring us into a place of greater manifestation and intimacy with God. So, as I've said, I'm laying this as a foundation because when a prophetic word comes, as a pastor, I need to take that word and I need to shepherd that word and I need to shepherd the people of God within that word and take it very seriously because otherwise here's what happens we come in we hear a message it touches our hearts we're cut deeply we say a prayer and sing kumbaya and on we go with our lives and nothing has really changed and that's a travesty what's the point then we need to sit up and take notice when God is speaking to us we need to take it solemnly and seriously and work with it in the right way so that it can produce the right fruit inside of us so I want to spend a little bit of time today unpacking some of the things that that have come out of both Malachi as well as uh, the book of Revelation. And there's some things I want to share from that. I'm not going to be re-preaching the last couple of weeks. If you haven't caught them, you're welcome to go and download the messages. I recommend that you do. But I want to point out the need for repentance. And, and, and I want to share with you a, a good and I healthy understanding of what repentance is and how it works so that we can see it in the right light and cooperate it with it in the right way.
So as I said, Pastor Andreas has been talking to us mainly out of Malachi and out of Revelation chapter 3. And there is something in common with these two portions of Scripture. Both of them involve a group of people that God is talking to who are utterly deceived about their true state, about their real condition. They're going about life thinking they are good, they are successful, they are happy, uh, everything's okay, God is pleased with me. Meanwhile, the truth is God is not. And so he sends a prophetic message into the situation to say, guys, you're actually spiritually asleep. You don't really know what's going on. And this is your true condition. It comes to reveal the truth. Let me quote you a few portions of scripture from Malachi. You don't need to take these down, but I want you to capture the heart of the people and why it is that God is addressing them. So Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, God says, I have loved you, says the Lord, and yet you say, in what way have you loved us? So here we have God's people who God is saying to you that I love you, and they're absolutely oblivious of his love. There's no sense of it, and they're saying, how have you loved us? Later on, a couple of verses later, in verse 6, he says, To you, the priests, who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? So here we have God who says, I love you. You say, how have you loved us? Then God says, I'm upset with you because you've done something. And they say, well, how have we done that? Completely oblivious to the fact of, of what they've done. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And this is the second thing that you do, God says. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And yet you say, for what reason? So in other words, they're bringing offerings, they're doing their religious thing, serving God on their terms, bringing him to him that which they think is acceptable. They were bringing him the, the, the lame lambs, the, uh, they were making offerings of, of, of um, you know, not the pure and spotless, not the best, they, all the lame, all the rubbish. That is what they were bringing to God and expecting him to be happy with it. And he certainly wasn't. And he says, I'm not happy with your, with what I'm getting from your hands. And they say, why? Why are you not happy with what we, we're coming and we're giving to you? We're paying our tithes. We're doing our offerings. You, you understand the gist of it. Well, not paying your tithes, as we see uh, a little bit later. Again, chapter 2, verse 17. You've wearied the Lord with your words, and yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? Chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? They were talk, he's talking about tithes and offerings. Final one, 3.13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You see this pattern repeating itself again and again and again throughout Malachi. God says, I'm not happy with you guys. And instead of an attitude of humility saying, Father, we didn't realize, we're sorry. They're saying, what do you mean? You know, we, we don't understand. What do you mean you're not happy with us? What, what do you mean we've robbed you? What? It's sort of a very self-righteous attitude where they can't even see the own wrong in their attitude and they can't see the wrong in their own hearts. They're completely oblivious to the true condition of their hearts. Now let's go to the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3. This is the other portion of scripture Pastor Andreas ministered to us from. And in verse 15, he says, I know your works. I know your works, God says. In other words, this is not some assumption I'm making here. I know the truth and I'm about to reveal it to you. God knows the truth of our works. He knows the truth of our attitudes, of our motivations. He knows. He knows everything. 
And he says that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm. Now, what does this word lukewarm mean? It means indifferent. You're indifferent to the things of God. They're there. They're kind of a part of your life. But you are not passionately pursuing them. Speaking about hot, it's like boiling water. There's bubbles in it. There's heat. It's producing energy. It's producing vitality towards what it's going after. The zeal for the Lord and for the things of God. This is not just a relationship with God that is limited to a Sunday morning church service or a webinar and a, a midweek Bible study. And then, But this, what, G, what God is talking about here is you are not passionately pursuing me all the day long. There is not something in you which is reaching out, going after me and going after the things of God. And so because you're, you're neither cold and you're hot, I'm going to vomit you from my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We have the people in, in, in the book of Malachi that did not know the true state of their hearts. We have the people in the book of Revelation. So we've got Old Covenant and New Covenant with the same problem. Both thinking in their hearts that they were okay. But God was not pleased. Folks, it's into these kind of contexts that God so often brings us a prophetic word to reveal to us the truth of the state of our hearts, of what's really going on inside. And what we do with that word is very important. Here's the point that I'm trying to make with you. So much of what is going on in our lives, we're trying to pray to God and say, would you come help me here? And please, Lord, would you come into this situation? And please, God, would you show me what's going on? Or There's so much reaching out, so much time spent trying to convince God to come into our situation, to break through for us, to even give us the revelation, even hearing a message like this, it's like saying, all right, well, then I need to pray that God will show me, that God will give me eyes. Folks, I want to say to you today, and this you could really entitle the whole message about this, God does not need convincing to come into our situation. God does not need convincing about our state and about the truth of where we are each at in our hearts. We do. God knows truly the state of every one of our hearts. He doesn't need convincing. We do. He doesn't need convincing of our spiritual condition. We do. He doesn't need convincing of our need for Jesus. We do. He does not need convincing of our utter depravity without Him. We do. And He does not need convincing of how much He loves us. We do. We forget we are forgetful hearers. We do not abide in that place. And we get caught up so easily in so many things around us. The cares of this world, the desires for other things, the deceitfulness of riches as Jesus speaks about in Mark chapter 4. It's not that we're trying to convince God to do something in our situation. God has done so much already. He's not the one who's needing convincing. We are. The sad thing when I think about the book of Malachi is that that is the last prophetic word that God sent to his people before 400 years of complete radio silence from God's point of view. Between Malachi and 
the coming of Jesus, there was a span of 400 years, 10 biblical generations, where that state of heart was the status quo. But the beautiful thing is that God, despite whatever place we find ourselves in, despite whatever attitudes we may be struggling with in our own hearts, God does not leave us there. Because he rounds out the book of Malachi with this statement. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So in other words, God is saying, this is the state of your heart, but I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to send the spirit of a father. Now the heart of a father is one that brings correction. It's one that brings guidance and it is focused on the well-being of the child. I have two, two beautiful girls. Hello, Elise. Good to see you. I have two beautiful girls. I correct them. I guide them. I coach them. Why? Because I love them. I want them to develop successful habits that will, or, or healthy habits that will lead them to success and growth within their life. I want to guide them out of bad habits that will be a thorn in their flesh as they grow older. I don't want lazy young ladies. I don't want rude or impolite young ladies. I will raise them to be industrious, to have the values of the kingdom of God within them, and to see themselves as valuable. Why? Because it determines their outlook on life and how they approach everything. But that doesn't happen automatically. I need to put in the work if I want to see that kind of thing within them. Secondly, the heart of a son is one of meekness. It's one of yieldedness. It's one that focuses on the father, desiring the father's counsel. That's the true heart of a son. And so we see how in Malachi, Jesus says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. That's how he rounds out that book. Let's look at how he rounds out his prophetic word to the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. In other words, this prophetic word that God is giving to us is a token of his love. It is the proof that he loves us. So much that he will not just let us keep going along a road that could lead us into indifference, that could lead us to being spewed from his mouth. He loves us so passionately that he says, I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to chasten you because I love you. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And there's that word. We're going to get into it in a few, in a few minutes. Then he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I stand at the door and knock. Would you open your heart to me? Now this speaks of a yieldedness of heart to intimacy. And you know that old cliche, what is intimacy? It is into me see. Intimacy. Intimacy. You see, folks, we are not waiting on God, begging him to come in. It's not like we're trying to get to him convince him to come into our situation as i said earlier god does not need convincing god needs yieldedness that is all god needs from you and i yieldedness yieldedness to his word yieldedness to his spirit an openness of heart that allows him to come in and shine his light in all the deepest darkest corners to reveal the truth so that the truth can so that we can deal with the stuff that's going on in our hearts 
That which is undealt with will hold us back. It undermines our character. But when we allow the God of love to shine his light on those areas, speak truth into them, we find grace and deliverance in those things. You see, the essence of repentance is a sincerity of heart that acknowledges the truth as God reveals it to us and a willingness to change according to that truth. What truth, you ask? The truth of our spiritual condition. The truth of our need for Jesus. The truth of our depravity without Him and the truth of just how much He loves us. You know, let me read you a portion of scripture that changed my life in, in an immense way. Uh, it comes out of a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. I'm trying to get in my Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And this is what he prays. That you may, that being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, there's some truths, folks, that we think we know in our minds and we think we understand and we think we're okay and we think we're doing well. But those truths haven't really sunk into our hearts. And there's greater truths that God wants to reveal us, reveal to us. And it's going to require a yieldedness on our part. Not thinking that we know. Not assuming that we understand. But being open for God to speak into those areas of our hearts. So let's talk about repentance. The word repent in the Greek is the word metanoin. And it means to change one's mind. In the root Greek word comes from the, is the same word from which we in English derive the word metamorphosis. So you get the idea of a little worm that spins itself in a cocoon and comes out a couple of weeks later completely transformed, changed into something new. Uh, the word in the Old Testament Hebrew means to turn or to return or to turn back. So what we have when we put these two words together is a really complete understanding of what repentance really means. It is a turning or a changing of our mind, our way of thinking, from one way to a completely different way. That's the work of repentance. Now, this is in some ways an instantaneous work where something is revealed to us. We have a revelation and we go, wow, I never saw it that way before. And the way we think changes. But you and I both know that changing facets of our lives, changing value systems, changing behaviors and, and habits is a journey. Sometimes that's like a barge that takes a long time to turn and a long time to change. And so I want to say to you that repentance is not just a once-off work. It's a journey that we walk with God throughout our lives to become more and more like Him. Folks, I think we've been wrongfully taught that, you know, we can just come up to the altar, pray a prayer, and then everything is fixed. You know, we preach a message, we pray this prayer, and then we go on our way and carry on life as usual. It couldn't be further from the truth. God is not glorified in that kind of thing because there's no fruit in it. Now, I'm not saying that things cannot happen at an altar. I'm not saying that things cannot change in an instant with prayer. But in terms of our personal growth, especially in the context of the, the kind of word that God has just given us, sure, there's an initial prayer that needs to be prayed. 
But that prayer and that decision and that word needs to be applied and it needs to be worked out in our life where real change is required. Uh, repentance is not about being sorry, though we may be sorry. It's not about feeling bad or sad, though we may feel bad or sad. It is about change. It is about realizing the truth of my condition and the direction I'm going in and changing course and orientation and heading in a completely different direction. It is Now that, can, that is as simple sometimes as saying, Jesus, would you lead me through today? Help me to be aware of your presence that I may bring glory to you in every situation. And keep that in the forefront of your mind. And so when that colleague at work suddenly starts pressing that last nerve that you've got, you remember your, your, your prayer this morning to Jesus. And something clicks in and you go, I'm not going to follow the same path I've been following of frustration and anger and snapping at this person. I'm going to choose a different option. That's a small example, but you get the point. You see, the call to repentance, when God gives us a call to repentance, it doesn't consider what your struggle is. Your, your struggle may be severe or intense, or maybe you're not really dealing with any major struggles right now, but it's irrelevant of your struggle. A call to repent does not care what your background is. It doesn't care what the color of your skin is. And it doesn't even care how long you've been walking in the wrong direction or what you've been doing or how long you've been doing it. A call to repentance does one thing. It points you to Jesus. It reorientates our focus and our attention back to where it should be. Our Lord our Savior, Jesus. And when we fix our eyes upon Him, as the old song goes, the things of this world begin to grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and of His grace. This is the purpose of the prophetic season that I am calling a prophetic season of beautiful repentance, where we deliberately reorientate our focus and our attention back to where it should be. Jesus and the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. That He is not just the Savior who comes to forgive us, but that He is Lord and Master. He is owner. He is the one who calls the shots. And in saying that, it means that I am not. You see, repentance, as I said, is not an instant event. It is a process. And it is a constant and consistent turning towards Jesus. Folks, you and I know we, we both do this. We turn to Jesus for a while and then things get busy or we get sidetracked and we go down rabbit warren and we go down a path this way. And sometimes we actually get so distracted that by the time we realize we're actually heading back in the same direction we turned from originally, back into that sin, back into a, a mindset, back into an insecurity, back into a bad habit, whatever it may be. What is repentance then? Just reorientating again to Jesus. Jesus, I've messed up again. I've gone back here. Forgive me. Thank you for the opportunity that you continually give me to reorientate my heart and life towards you. Thank you for your graciousness. And th This is why I call repentance such a beautiful thing. Repentance is a gift because it takes me out of going away from God into places that lead to death, to cursing, to to um, inferiority, to, to lack, to disease, and turns me back to God, towards righteousness, towards truth, where I'm not deceived, where I see myself for who I truly am, and I can pursue God with an honest heart. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face because of what Jesus has done, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed. Now that word transformed, once again, it's the Greek word metamorpho, pointing back to metamorphosis again. There's a change that's going on. So we have the instantaneous change of our spirit man and rebirth, but then that needs to work itself out in our lives. And so we are changing, and the more we behold God, the more we are transformed, as the scripture says, into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. And in that, we have one of the most powerful keys to repentance and to sanctification and having our lives transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Folks, any real, true, authentic change towards godliness or Christ-likeness in your life and mine has come not through me making it happen, but come through the power of Spirit working in and through me. I am powerless to produce Christ-likeness in my life. In those scriptures we just read, so many of those people, they were caught up thinking, we're rich, we're blessed, we're okay, we're doing well, and God is pleased with us. Even in their own thinking, they were powerless to understand and to see the truth. You see, anything of Christ-likeness is not because I did it, because I can't do it. All I can do is yield to the Spirit of God who can do it in and through me. I'm sure I may have told this story before. I'll be brief in telling it. You know, when this when this really hit home for, for me personally, it came through a quote by that I that I once read by um, William Churchill. He was speaking to a group of RAF pilots who were going on a, a, a mission that was critical to the British war effort. They had some strategic targets that they needed to bomb, and in in his speech to these pilots before they left the base, he said to them, sometimes, men, it's not enough to do your best. Sometimes you have to do what is required. In other words, you can't come back from this mission having missed your targets and said, oh, I did my best, but the wind, or oh, I did my best and I tried. It's never going to, that's not good enough. You know, we teach our kids, you just try your best, that, that's, that's enough. Folks, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to my life, when it comes to salvation, it's not about doing my best. God is not looking for my best. He's looking for me to do what is required. And it's in that moment when I had that realization that I throw up my hands and go, but I can't. I can't do what is required. I am fallen. I am broken. I am unable to do it. To which Jesus says, I know. I'm so glad you finally figured it out. Now, let's work together. Because I can. You see, I had a revelation through that quote by William Churchill of my own inability, of my own depravity outside of Jesus. And it was that revelation which opened for me the doors to grace. Now what is grace? Grace is God, the person of Jesus, coming into my situation with all his power and all his ability to come and do in and through me that which I am unable to do myself. But here's the catch. In order... For God to have his way in order to yield to him and to that power working within me, I must reject all self-effort. I cannot do it on my own. My works, the Bible says, my good, the best that I have to bring, are to him as filthy rags. The only thing that is acceptable is Jesus. It's the life that he brings. 
And when we have a call to repentance, what is that call? It's a call to reorientate that understanding of where we are trying, where we are striving to do more and be more and pray more and, and, and all these things, bringing us back to the reality that no matter how hard we try, our best is never going to be good enough. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing anything at all, but it means that everything we do comes from an inward motivation that is birthed by Jesus. It's not striving to prove our love for God. It is that the love of God has so captured our hearts that we live in the overflow of it. In one of my favorite little books, it's a book called Calvary Road. It's a small little book and I highly recommend it. It's by a guy called Roy Hessian. He makes the following statements. He says, Dying to self is not a thing we do once for all. There may be an initial dying when God first shows these things. But ever after, it will be a constant dying. For only so can the Lord Jesus be revealed constantly through us. You see, the only life that pleases God and that can be victorious is His life. Never our life, no matter how hard we try. But inasmuch as our self-centered life is the exact opposite of His, we can never be filled with His life unless we are prepared for God to bring our life constantly to death. Folks, let's stop trying to convince God of what it is that we think we need. And let us rather just yield to what He says we need. Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus. And so throughout this next little while, this is the word that God has given us. It is a season of orientating or perhaps reorientating our heart, our attention, our affection, our desires towards our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Because as we do that, he has an incredible way of working in our hearts and showing us things that we didn't even know were in there. But God is saying to you and to me, and if we have ears to hear, let us hear. What you think you know is very limited. What you think you understand is very small in comparison to the truth and to the big picture. There is so much more that I want to show you if you will yield to me, if you will open your heart to me and make room for me to come in and sup with you, dine with you, share life with you and speak into your situation. Now he may do that through a friend, he may do that through scripture, he may do that directly through your spirit, but you won't hear anything unless you begin orientating your heart there, yielding to him and saying, Lord, I want, I want this. You, you're calling me to attention, I don't want to be resisting you. I raise up my white flag and I say, I'm going to resist you no more, Lord Jesus. This is about you and for you and to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.